And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. You lost your magic. They knocked you off your game. Your Carlness went right out the window. What's with this Carlness? It's not even a, a real word. It's a conjunction, a preposition. It's a philosophy, a way of life. It's your name with Miss attached to it. Bob, listen to me. If you'd have done what I asked you to, and come in my dressing room before the show, you'd have known that you weren't supposed to come out here until I introduced you. Jack, I tried to get into your dressing room, but I didn't have a nickel. I understand you're pretty funny as a DJ. Comedy is a kind of hobby of mine. Well, well, actually, it's a little more than just a hobby. Reader's Digest is considering publishing two of my jokes. Really? Yeah. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Honey Dollar. Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. We'll celebrate Valentine's Day and Lincoln's birthday with A Cavalcade of America, starring Helen Hayes from 1943. And we'll tune into part one of The Great Gildersleeve, starring Willard Waterman from 1953. But first, let me say hello to my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Glad hey. to be here. What's happening in Hollywood? So this is great. There's going to be an Aretha Franklin biopic coming up. Oh, yeah? And R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Exactly. Now, my question to you is, who do you think that Aretha mm-hmm. handpicked yeah. to play her in this biopic? Um, The girl that won, Jennifer Hudson. Yes. That's who I would say. Yes. She didn't. Well, what yeah, were you she, I was, yeah, she what, won American Idol. She didn't. She okay, was a finalist. She won an American Academy Idol. Award. So. She won an Oscar, a Golden Globe, and a SAG Award for Best Supporting Actress for. Is Effie, that who they're going to for pick? Effie White in? I don't know. Dream Girls. Oh, Dream Girls. Yeah, I right. don't watch that kind of um, stuff. That's who is going to be the one. That's who I would have picked. So Clive Davis. I should be a casting director. See? You should. You yeah. should. Um, Aretha Franklin handpicked her. Yeah. And Clive Davis has worked with both of these women. Right. And I guess he had a pre-Grammy party and he had asked Jennifer Hudson to sing a melody of Aretha Franklin tunes and she did. And then they announced that she will be playing her in this biopic. Wow. They're going to be filming next year. I'm excited about it. So, um, I'm glad it's Jennifer Hudson for the role. I'm going to star in a biopic too. You know who I'm going to play? I can't imagine. George Clooney. Because you look alike. I look just like him. Oh, I wasn't sure why. Well, because I look exactly like him. Yeah. I mean, if I was walking away, like from a football field away, and and George Clooney was walking away, you wouldn't know which one was me and which one was him. You're like the same what? Same height, same hair color, (laughs) same... Good. Well, you keep, you keep dreaming. Yeah. All right. So okay. very good. Thanks, Great. Lisa. Thanks, Carl. All right. You know what? We are going to celebrate Lincoln's birthday and Valentine's Day in this edition uh, all week long of uh, Hollywood 360. We're going to start things off with the Cavalcade of America. This was an anthology drama. It came to radio in 1935, lasted all the way to 1953, and it was always sponsored by the same company, DuPont. It was documented historical events using stories of individual courage, initiative, and achievement with triumphs against all odds, uh, often through technological innovation. Stories were written by Arthur Miller, Stuart Hawkins, Robert Tallman, and many other stars, included Orson Welles, Ray Collins, Cary Grant, John McIntyre, all the biggest names wanted to appear on the Cavalcade of America. It also made a transition to television in 1952. That lasted 
until 1957. So we have uh, an episode of Mr. Lincoln's Wife, and it stars Helen Hayes. This is part one now of The Cavalcade of America. The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents Helen Hayes as Mr. Lincoln's wife. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont. On this Memorial Day, with Helen Hayes as our star, we bring you the story of an American woman, a plain woman, a simple woman, who lived to know the sting of slanderous gossip, the emptiness of widowhood, the loneliness of age. Abraham Lincoln's Wife. Our play, Mr. Lincoln's Wife, by Victor Wolfson, is based on a new biography of the same name by Ann Culver. For R. N. Reinhardt are the publishers. And now, DuPont Company presents Helen Hayes as Mr. Lincoln's Wife. My name is Mary Todd. Do you know who I am? Mary Todd. It's a simple name, a plain name. It makes you think of apple cider and hay rides and square dances. I married a man with a simple name, a plain name. Abe. Abe Lincoln. On November the 5th, 1860, I was a housewife. Mrs. Abe Lincoln, Jackson and 8th Street, Springfield, Illinois. I worried about the bills, I looked after the children... I was busy with the thousand and one things a woman has to do about a house. Mom! Mom! What are you doing? Oh. You're not fighting me, you. Mom! Ted! Willie, stop that fighting and come in here. Willie pushed me, Mom. He bit me in the leg. I'm ashamed of both of you. Whatever will the neighbors think? Now go upstairs and watch for supper. Your father will be home any minute. Yes, yes. the way it was most days, just a small-town housewife. But suddenly, one day, everything changed. Imagine my little cousin Mary Todd, the first lady of the land, as they say. If Abe wins the election, that is. My sister Mary, the wife of the president, if he wins. Do you know what that'll make me, Lizzie? The sister-in-law of the president of the United States. Heavens to Betsy. And I'll be the president's cousin by marriage. Oh, why in the world am I talking to you when I should be down at the hotel watching the election returns come in? Uh, look, look, they're posting some more figures in the Pennsylvania column. 420 more for honesty. Oh, did you ever see such a crowd in this lobby? All Springfield turned out. Please stop pushing me. Oh, good evening, Lizzie. Where's Mary? Oh, she's home, poor worn-out thing, trying to get the boys to sleep. Willie's asleep at last. So's Ted. What a day you've had, Mary. I don't see how you can stand this waiting, waiting. It'll all be over soon, Emily. We'll know one way or another before long. Come, let's go downstairs. Careful not to step on that loose board. <gasps> Emily. Mama. Oh. Shh, Daddy. Go to sleep. You'll wake Willie. I can't sleep either, Ma. Is Pa president yet? Mary! It's Lizzie. Lizzie, what is it? I've run all the way from the hotel. It's bad news, I know it. Let me catch my breath. For pity's sake, tell me. What's that? A parade. They're bringing Abe home with a brass band. Mary, he's the new president. The new president. Emily, I knew it would happen. 
The minute I set eyes on him 18 years ago, I knew it. People whispered about me behind my back when I said it. But just you wait, I used to say. And I was right, Emily, I was right. Yes, Mary, come and sit down. You're worn out. No, no, I'm all right. Emily, don't stare at me like that. Don't you see this makes up for all the long, bitter years? Poor Mary Todd, people used to say. Married to a sad-faced failure. Why, he can't even provide a decent home for his family. I was ashamed to ask for credit at the stores. The clerks smirking, wondering when they'd get paid, if ever. Don't you see? This moment wipes it all out forever. I'm Mr. Lincoln's wife. The president's wife. <laughs> I'll open the door. I'll welcome the new president home. Mr. Lincoln, my husband, I'm proud, very proud. Come, I have some hot cocoa on the stove for you. You must be tired. It had begun, the new life, the new adventure. We were on our way to Washington. I should have been excited and happy, but I wasn't. I was afraid. What will people say about me? Will I know how to do things correctly? Will I... Will my clothes be right? Will people laugh at me? No, I don't know what made me so afraid... Perhaps it was because Mr. Lincoln looked so sad. Yes, even now in his triumph, walking down to the speaker's stand in the Capitol to make his inaugural address, he was the saddest man I ever saw. Look, Mommy, there's Papa way down there. Shh, Teddy. Look, he's staring up here at us, Ma. Just nod and smile. That's right. He smiled back at us, Mommy. Shh, Ted, listen to him. That evening, we attended the inaugural ball. There was laughter, music, dancing, yes. But there was something else, too. It stood in the doorways. It moved beneath the great chandeliers. It was present everywhere. Suspicion. I could feel it around me. Wherever I looked, I saw enemies dancing together, laughing. Mary, isn't it the most wonderful ball? Did you ever see so many handsome uniforms and so much to eat and drink? Uh, yes, Emily, everyone seems happy, I'm glad. <laughs> everyone except your husband. Look at him standing there in the corner. Why, he looks as if he were attending his own funeral. Now, don't say that. Why, Mary, I didn't mean anything. Uh, forgive me, Emily. I don't know why I'm so nervous. Who's that he's talking to? Oh, that's the Secretary of Treasury's daughter, Kate Chase. Isn't she beautiful? Yes. And she wags the most dangerous tongue in Washington. Ben Helm told me all about her. Your new beau knows a lot about Washington. I'd like to meet him. Would you, Mary? He's here. He's asked me to marry him. But he's a southerner, Mary. What of it? So are you and I, Emily. So are our brothers. For heaven's sake, don't let geography stop you if you love him, Emily. Go on, bring him here. I'll be back in a minute. Mrs. Lincoln, 
I'm Kate Chase. Oh, yes. I was just thinking how well you stood it. Stood what? Having us all come here just to stare at you. You seem to enjoy it. Will you have some punch? No, thank you. One gets used to being stared at, I expect, Miss Chase. Certainly you would know about that better than I. You have wit, Mrs. Lincoln. I can't believe you're from the Middle West. Did you expect me to wear a poke bonnet and ride around Washington in a covered wagon, Miss Chase? <laughs> no, not that. But isn't it curious, a member of a Southern family like yourself, married to a man who's against slavery? I should think your being Southern might lead to family tension. Our family tensions are... Or lack of them are of no public concern, Miss Chase. Oh, please, don't take offense. Oh, will you excuse me? There's a senator from Missouri. He's a bitter enemy of your husband's, you know. I'm sure he'll be a worse one when you're through talking with him, Miss Chase. <laughs> oh, I simply adore your wit, Mrs. Lincoln. That was excellent punch. Oh, Mary, here you are. We've been looking oh. for you. This is Mr. Ben Helm, Mary. Well, I'm glad to meet you, Mr. Helm. Mrs. Lincoln... I hope you'll be in Washington a good long time. Well, ma'am, that depends on two things. Emily and the war. The war? Yes, ma'am. War that's coming. Coming fast. It was true. The war did come. They fired on Fort Sumter. Civil war. I sat in my room, holding back the old, unknown fears. Yes? Who is it? It's me, Emily. Emily! Emily, Ben! Oh, when did you get back? Come in, I'm so glad to see you. I came right from the station, Mary. We cut the honeymoon short. Ben, what are you going to do now? You've had years at West Point. You should apply for a commission... We need men like you, Ben. I was offered a commission, Mary. I refused it. I'm going back home, Mary. I'm a southerner. I couldn't fight my own people. I understand, Ben. And you, Emily, you're going with him, of course? Yes, Mary. I shall miss you both very much. It'll be lonely for me here in Washington. Goodbye, Mary. Goodbye, my dear. Good luck, Ben. My sister and her husband going over to the Confederate side. What would Kate Chase say now? What would the rumors be now? I had to act quickly to head off the flood of talk that was let loose against me. I sent for my husband's secretary. I don't know if I can help you, Mrs. Lincoln. You must, Mr. Stoddard. I must do something to stop these rumors, to show people I'm not pro-slavery. You, you, you remember that letter I had from a Mrs. Orville about a Negro school she wants to organize? Yes. I'd like you to get me a list of people I might go and see about this school. At a time like this, with feelings running high, there might be bad talk, Mrs. Lincoln. Talk? Do you think I don't know there's talk enough already? They've accused me of being a southerner and a spy. Wouldn't my working for this Negro school prove that I'm against slavery? I'm afraid that people who circulate such stories aren't likely to be convinced by any sort of proof. Then what am I to do, pray? Just sit by and do nothing at all? For the present, that might be best. In these times, one can't be too cautious. Mr. Stoddard, I will not hear that word cautious again. Every fool in the city talks of nothing but being cautious. Mrs. Lincoln. I've tried I... your precious caution, Mr. Stoddard, and what has it got me? Nothing but hatred and lies. 
spiteful, vicious lies about me. Mrs. Lincoln, I realize that it's been most trying, but we can only be patient and try to understand. Mr. Stoddard, will you please, for mercy's sake, stop trying to soothe me? You talk as if I were ill or out of my mind. I, I, I dare read the letters from my own brothers because they happen to live in the South and I'll be called a traitor. I'm spied on and talked about in my own house. But I can't discharge a servant who's insolent to me for fear of having more vile stories spread about me. And then you tell me I must be patient and try to understand. I'll go mad if it goes on this way. Mad, do you hear me? Well, don't stand there staring at me like that, Mr. Stoddard. There's no reason to be alarmed. I'm quite myself. Quite. Good day, Mr. Stoddard. Mary Todd Lincoln finds herself in the White House alone, without friends. The Civil War is reaching its climax. Yes, the band stopped playing. There were no more cheers. The war was being fought desperately. I rarely saw Mr. Lincoln now. He was in constant session with his cabinet, with his generals. I was alone. I turned to my children, little Tad and Willie, for companionship. Then suddenly one day, Willie came down with a fever. I sent for the doctor. I'm afraid it's quite serious, Mrs. Lincoln. But, doctor, it can't be. Why, he's never been sick a day in his life. I advise you to have a nurse in. You'll have a chance to rest then. I don't need a rest, and I won't have a nurse. I won't have some stranger coming in. No one understands Willie as I do. Mrs. Lincoln, I feel that in the present crisis, your nerves are... Oh, no. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me about my nerves, doctor? My dear Mrs. Lincoln, I assure you I mean no criticism. I understand the strain you must be under here in the White House. It's only natural that your nerves... For pity's sake, will you stop talking about my nerves? Perhaps you think... Perhaps I think what, Mrs. Lincoln? Nothing. Leave me alone. Send a nurse in if you want to, but do what you like. Only leave me alone. There'll be one here in the morning. Good day, Mrs. Lincoln. Mrs. Lincoln, if you don't stop pacing up and down, I'm afraid you'll have to leave the room. Nurse, are you ordering me out of my own son's room? You know the doctor's instructions. Your son must have quiet. And do you think that will save him? I don't know. We can only wait. Wait? You tell me to wait when my son is dying? Mrs. Lincoln, please. Ma. No, you mustn't go Ma. near him, Mrs. Lincoln. Let go of my arm, dear. Mrs. Lincoln, are you mad? Ma. It's so hot in here. It's the fever, my darling. Try to lie still. Don't toss about so. Ma, will I get well soon? Yes, of course. Very soon. Ma. Yes, dear? I don't think I will get well. Oh, don't say that, darling. You must get well. You will get well. Please get well, Willie, please. My little son did not get well. He died. The war dragged on. 
My two brothers in the Confederate Army were killed by my husband's armies. And people talked again. I heard all their whispers. Then one day I received a letter from my sister Emily. Young, handsome Ben Helm. General Helm of the Confederate Army, decorated and brave, was killed in action. Emily was alone. She had no place to go. I persuaded Mr. Lincoln to allow her to stay with me. Oh, I knew there would be more talk. The wife of a southern general living in the White House. But she was my sister. I sat in my room waiting for her to arrive. Who is it? It's me, Emily. Yes, it's me. You can open the door wider, Miss. Emily. Oh, Emily. How you've changed. Are you ill? You look so strange. No, no. But, Emily, I've been dying to tell someone. Wait, I'll lock the door. You did lock the door when I came in. Oh, yes, yes. I began to forget things. Emily, I want to tell you a secret. You're the only person I dare tell it to. Yes. Tell me, Mary. Come, move your chair closer. What is it, Mary? Emily. Sometimes at night. Yes. Go on. Sometimes at night, I hear voices. Mary, what are you talking about? Yes, I hear them calling to me at night. Willie and Ben Hill. Mary! Yes, speaking just like they were in this room with me. That's why I locked the door, Emily. I don't want anyone else to know they're here. No, you mustn't look so afraid, Emily. I was afraid at first. But after a while, it's pleasant sitting here in the rocker talking to them. You mustn't let anyone know my secret, Emily. You won't tell anyone, Emily, will you? No. No, Mary, I won't. That's the first portion of the Cavalcade of America. We'll have more after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to the Cavalcade of America. And one day the bells began to ring. Peace. Peace came at last. I was almost too weary with the strain of these years to realize it had come. But I was happy. Abe was happy. We had both grown so old in these few years. But it was over now. Peace, peace. On the Friday before Easter, Good Friday, I persuaded Abe to go to the theater. I was getting dressed. Will you be wearing this black dress, Mrs. Lincoln? Oh, no, no. Bring the blue lace one, Mrs. Keckley. This is a real celebration. Mr. Lincoln and I haven't been out together for so long. <laughs> Where are you going, Mrs. Lincoln? To the theater, Mrs. Keckley. To Ford's Theater. Mr. Lincoln died that night. Died in my arms. And his voice was added to all the other voices I listened to in the dark safety of night. Mary Todd. 
widow of the President of the United States. Mary Todd, widow. Alone with the voices I heard in the night. Ma! They're bringing him home, Mary. He's the new president. You're a southerner, aren't you? You're a spy. You're a southerner. You're a traitor. We can't trust you. Ma! Then one day I was taken to a courtroom. We have heard the testimony of Dr. Isham and the other witnesses. The verdict of this court is that the defendant is of unsound mind, incapable of handling her property and conducting her affairs. You're mad, Mary Todd. You're mad. The defendant is remitted to Bellevue Sanitarium at Batavia in the state of Illinois in accordance with arrangements to be made by her family. Case dismissed. Dismissed. Dismissed out of this life. Dismissed into an asylum. Widow of the great president. After a while, they let me out of the sanitarium. I hurried away. I wanted to forget, forget. I fled to London. There I lived in a quiet boarding house. The widow of the great president. I was an old lady by now. I rarely went out. But one day I had to mail a letter. I went down the street to the letterbox. Excuse me, miss. I'd like to post this letter. You're standing in front of the box. Oh. oh. Wait. Wait, don't hurry away. Don't you remember me? Yes. Yes, I do. Miss Kate Chase. And you're still beautiful. Are you here alone, Mrs. Lincoln? Yes. Mrs. Lincoln, if there's anything I can do, I'm afraid we were all quite cruel to you in Washington. Oh, it's such a long time ago, it doesn't matter. Good day, Miss Chase. No, even meeting Kate Chase didn't matter now. I really must be getting quite, quite old. There was a cablegram for me on the bureau from Emily. She begged me to come back to America. I cried with joy. I was wanted. Emily wanted me. I was going home. I was going home at last. No longer afraid of my memories. No longer afraid. Here, Robert, don't go so near the railing. No, Mama. Oh, madame, will you watch them for a moment, please? I go to my stateroom for I sweat there. Yes, of course. Thank you. Come here, Pierre, Robert. I had little boys like you once. Do you know what my name is? No. My name is Mrs. Abraham Lincoln. You know who Abraham Lincoln was, don't you? No, madame. Don't they tell you about President Lincoln and school? We don't go to school. We live in Paris. Our papa is a tutor for us. He teaches us in French. When you get to America, I expect you'll go back to school. And then you'll learn all about Abraham Lincoln. And you can tell your teacher, Abraham Lincoln's wife, talked to you. And told you that he was very fond of little boys. Abraham Lincoln's wife... 
You won't forget that now, will you? Abraham Lincoln's wife. Thank you, Helen Hayes. Be with us next week when Cavalcade presents Everett Sloan in The Enemy is Listening, especially written for this program by Mignon Eberhard. The orchestra tonight was under the direction of Don Voorhees. The special musical score was by Arden Cornwall. Cavalcade is pleased to inform its audience that Helen Hayes will soon be seen in the star-studded motion picture Stage Door Canteen. This is Clayton Collier sending best wishes from Cavalcade sponsor, the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. This program came to you from New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's the Cavalcade of America starring Helen Hayes in Mr. Lincoln's Wife from May 31st, 1943. Also in that cast, Sarah Fussell, Arlene Francis, and Frank Reddick with Bud Collier doing the announcing. And Bud Collier, Lisa, played Superman, Clark Kent, Superman on the radio. And he did a lot of announcing. And also on television, he was the host of Beat the Clock. That was heard on NBC Red. That's the Cavalcade of America. Well, we're going to tune in now to the Great Gildersleeve. Now, we just listened to a show that sort of celebrated Lincoln's life. Now we're going to celebrate Valentine's Day. On this particular episode, there's a Valentine's Day party at the mayor's house. This stars Willard Waterman. Let's go back to February 11, 1953, part one of the Great Gildersleeve. The Kraft Foods Company presents Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you partially transcribed by the Kraft Foods Company. Well, for a number of years now, the Great Gildersleeve has enjoyed his position as city water commissioner. It carries a certain dignity and wields a certain influence. All in all, it's a happy situation, and the Great Gildersleeve will go to great lengths to preserve it. Hey, Uncle, why did you want me down here at the office this afternoon? Leroy, there's a lot to be done. The mayor said he'd be in before closing time, and we want to be on the ball. I don't get it. It looks good to have a relative working in the office who isn't on the payroll. Gosh, I could be out playing basketball. You can do this for your old uncle. The mayor likes to see a busy office. What'll I do? You can stuff the water bills in the envelopes and like the stamps. Before dinner? <laughs> Leroy, use a sponge. Okay. Right after I type a letter to our dog. Yes, yes. You know, we ought to name that dog. I'm writing him a letter and I don't even know who to send it to. If you have anything to tell the dog, phone him. I wouldn't want the mayor to come in and catch you wasting water department stationery on a great dame. Well, I'll just write one page. Dear dog... Leroy, cut out the monkey shines. This is dog shines. Hey. <laughs> well, get that out of the typewriter. I don't want the mayor to see it. Okay. Uncle, why are you so afraid of the mayor? I'm not afraid of him. I respect him. He's my boss. And he can cut off your water, huh? Hey. <laughs> Young man, I'm the one who cuts off the water around here. I mind my business and he minds his. Why, the mayor wouldn't dare to... Hello, Mr. Mayor. Hello, Gildersleeve. Uh, mayor Twilliger, you know my nephew, Leroy? Oh, yes. Hello, Leroy. Hi. Having fun playing with the city typewriter? Yeah. Uh, Leroy is just down here helping me, Mr. Mayor. 
A lot to do, you know. Oh? He's sending out statements to the customers. Is this one here? Dear Dog. <laughs> well, Gildersleeve, I knew the water department had a lot of new consumers, but I didn't know we had any dogs on the books. Hey, I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor. Leroy was just writing a note to our great Dane. Oh. Uh, Gildersleeve, you've never been to my house, have you? No, I haven't. I've driven past it, but I've never gotten inside. Well, I'd like to have you come over next Saturday night. Me? I'm giving a Valentine's Day party to a very select group. Oh. Uh, besides our friends, Mrs. DeWilliger and I always invite a city official. Well. Uh, this year, it's your turn. Uh, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, you may bring somebody if you wish. How about me, Unc? Uh, Leroy, he means bring a girl. Uh, a lady. Uh, don't you, Mr. Mayor? Naturally. Uh, shall I dress? Black tie. Black tie? Is that all you're going to wear? Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being invited to the mayor's. By George Gildersleeve, you're getting up in the world. <laughs> you think I'll drop in and tell Peavy about it? Hello, Peavy. Well, hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> what can I do for you today? Peavy, I just had a long talk with the mayor. Called you on your carpet, did he? Not at all. As a matter of fact, he wants the water commissioner to come to his home. Something wrong with the plumbing? <laughs> Peavy, stop it. He invited me to a Valentine party. Valentine? My, my. Gonna be quite an affair, Peavy. A lot of important people will be there. And only one city official. Me. You don't say. Yeah. The mayor says I can bring anybody I want. Of course, that presents a problem. Nobody wants to go with you. <laughs> anybody would jump at the opportunity to go. But I don't know whether to ask Grace Tuttle or Leela Ransom. Well, that is quite a decision to make. Uh, Peavy, whom would you take? I'd take Mrs. Peavy. I'd have to. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Put yourself in my shoes. Very well. Now, you've worked for the mayor for 11 years, and he's never invited you to one of his parties. Stuffed shirt. <laughs> but at last, he invites you. Who would you take? I'd take a baseball bat and hit him right across the chart. <laughs> Peavy, I'm serious. <laughs> Don't mind, a stuck-up little powder pigeon. <laughs> oh, will you lay off the mayor and help me with my problem? Well, seriously, Mr. Gildersleeve, I, I'd find it difficult to choose between Mrs. Ransom and Miss Tuttle. Yeah, they're both very attractive. Yes, indeed. They both dress well. They're both good dancers. I'm sure they are. Of course, Grace is more reserved. Mm, yes. Well, Leela is more the sentimental and romantic type. Yeah, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> you know how she comes in here, chucks you under the chin and says, Hello, Mr. Peavy, you cute little old man, you. <laughs> Mr. Gillespie, if I were you, I'd say tut-tut to Tuttle and run for ransom. <laughs> Yes, Bertie. If I'd known you'd come home so soon, I'd have rolled out the red carpet. What's this? Leroy told me about you getting invited to the man. Well. Yes, sir. The water commissioner's going to make a big splash. 
Yeah. I guess I better phone and rent that same tuxedo I had New Year's Eve. Yes, if it's a big party, you better phone before all the stylish stouts are gone. Yeah, but first, I have to decide about my date. I'm weighing Miss Tuttle and Mrs. Ransom carefully. How much do they weigh? <laughs> Leroy, I'm trying to decide which one I should take to the party. Well, you can't go wrong with either one. Yeah, that's true, Bertie. I think Leela might be a little more fun. That Miss Ransom can sure liven up a party. And she has a lot of spirit. <laughs> Remember the going-away party you gave her and she saved it by dancing to Charleston? Yeah, Bertie, I wouldn't say she saved it. She certainly made it interesting. Yes, yeah. You know, Leela might be a little too lively for the mayor and his wife. Well, I don't know. The mayor hires some pretty snazzy-looking secretaries. That's business, Leroy. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. The mayor is strictly business. And looking at it from all angles, Miss Tuttle might be the one to take to the mayor's party. Hey, what do you think, Bertie? Mr. Gillespie, you can't miss if you just shut your eyes and grab. Well, this is no grab bag, Bertie. Yeah, I think I'll call Grace right now. Yes, sir. It won't hurt to take a level-headed girl. Show the mayor I have my feet on the ground. As far as Leela's concerned, she doesn't even have to know I'm going to the party. Hello? Grace, this is Throckmorton. Oh, yes, Throckmorton. I don't suppose anybody's asked you to a Valentine's party. Just how do you mean that? <laughs> what I mean is, if you're not busy Saturday evening, are you? Well, a long line is already forming in front of my door, but what do you have in mind? Perhaps I can move you up. Well, the mayor has honored me with an invitation to his home, and I'd like to have you go with me. That's wonderful, Throckmorton. I'd love to. You're very sweet to think of me. Well, I've given it a lot of thought. It's formal, I hope. Yes, indeed. Very. I'm just dying to wear an evening dress again. Yeah, I like to wear them, too. Yeah, tuxedo, I mean. <laughs> What say I pick you up around 7 Saturday? I'll be ready. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Goodbye, Grace. Goodbye, Throckmorton. You all set with Miss Tuttle, Unc? Yep. Glad I called her. Being a school teacher, she'll fit right in with the Tony people the mayor will invite. She has dignity, poise, charm. Yeah, and if the party starts dying, you can send for Mrs. Ransom to come to the Charleston. Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> Right, George, I've got a lot of work to do today. Uh, before I clear the desk, I think I'll see what's in the morning paper. Well, here's a big announcement of the mayor's party. Summerfield's elite anticipating Mayor Twilliger's dinner dance. See, it's a pretty important shindig. Gets a write-up before it happens. Yeah, let's see. They haven't listed the guests. Throckmorton? Uh-oh. It's Leela. Throckmorton, are you in there? Come in, Leela. I wonder if she read about the party and came down here for a reason. Good morning, Throckmorton. Hello, Leela. Aren't you out a little early this morning? Well, I had some shopping to do. Yeah, but the stores aren't open. Well, I know you won't mind if I wait here until they are. Oh, no. Delighted to see you. Sit down. <sighs> Thank you. I see you're reading the morning paper. The paper? I read it hours ago. Oh. I suppose you noticed the mayor's giving a party Saturday night. 
Oh, yes? Oh, it's right there under your nose. Summerfield's A-Lede anticipating Mayor to Williger's dinner dance. Well, well, well. So the mayor's giving a party. How about that? You sound like it's news to you. Well, that's why they print newspapers. News. Throckmorton, aren't you invited? It's a strange thing, Leela. I've never been to the mayor's house. Are you going this time? As long as I work for the mayor, I've never been in his house. Are you invited? Eleven years. I've never once been in his house. Throckmorton, are you going to his party? The mayor has a party every year, and I've never been there. Throckmorton, did he invite you to the party Saturday night? Answer yes or no. Well, Leela. Oh, I shouldn't have asked you that. I'm sorry, Throckmorton. I should know if you're going to Mayor Terwilliger's party, you'd have asked me long ago. (laughs) After all, it's a Valentine party. Throckmorton. Now, Leela, perhaps you shouldn't sit on the arm of my chair. This is a business office. Throckmorton. Yes, Leela. Am I your Valentine? Well, Gildersleeve. Uh, oh, oh, Mr. Mayor. Uh, yes, I. Uh, I hope I'm not interrupting the flow of business in the water department. You? No, no, not at all. I was just chatting with a, a friend of mine. Oh. Well, glad you dropped in, Mrs. Ransom. What's wrong, Martin? Aren't you going to introduce me to his honor? Oh, yes. Excuse me. Uh, Mayor Terwilliger, allow me to present Mrs. Leela Ransom. How do you do, Mrs. Ransom? Oh, Mr. Mayor, I'm delighted to meet you. Thank you. Uh, now, Gildersleeve, about these new water mains... Well, I've seen your picture in the paper countless times. Uh, naturally. As I was about to say, Gildersleeve... And now you... that I see you in person, your pictures don't do you justice. Uh, oh? You look so young for Mayor. Uh, oh, well. <clears throat> uh, you were speaking about the water mains, Mr. Mayor. Gildersleeve, you're interrupting the lady. I... <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. Well, I'm the one who's interrupting your business, but I hope you don't mind a girl telling you how distinguished you look, Your Honor. And uh, if you don't mind, permit me to say Commissioner Gildersleeve has a very charming friend. <laughs> oh, Mr. Mayor. Oh, brother. (laughs) Well, I really must be skipping along. I never did believe a woman should just drop into an office and take up a man's time, even if Throckmorton is my best beau. So that's how it is, eh, Gildersleeve? Well, I've known Leela for quite a while, Mr. Mayor. Wonderful. I suppose we'll be seeing you at my party tomorrow night, Mrs. Ransom? Why, Mr. Mayor, I'd be just tickled to death. I'm not tickled, but I'm dead. (laughs) That's the first portion of The Great Gildersleeve from February 11th, 1953, with the Mayor's Valentine's Party, starring Willard Waterman. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's more of Hollywood 360, so stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve. Then it's part one of an hour-long broadcast of the Mercury Theater on the Air with Orson Welles starring as Abraham Lincoln. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.